Hey everybody, this is Deacon Matt Newsom. I'm the Catholic Campus Minister at Western Carolina University. And uh, those of you who follow our channel know who I am. And you probably also know that um, usually it's just me here talking at you. Uh, but I'm joined today by a special guest, Mr. Ephraim Minnie. And uh, so I wanted to uh, introduce you to, to Ephraim. I'm getting to know Ephraim a little bit and uh, give you a little background about why he's here and uh, what we plan on doing uh, in this video uh, today. Um, we have a mutual friend in common and uh, uh, I guess about a month or so ago I published an article in the Catholic News Herald, our diocesan newspaper, um, that was addressing the issue of racism and uh, specifically in the wake of of George Floyd and in um, all of the, the protests and everything that, that happened after that. And uh, the editors of the newspaper actually asked me if I would comment on that. And my initial reaction was, what, you know, what can I say as a middle-aged white guy, you know, in, into this? And I really didn't feel like I had the right, you know, to say anything. And I felt more that my role was really to listen and that's what I ended up writing about. I, I wrote about how that, you know, this is, this is a time for a lot of us who um, aren't feeling the pains of, of racism in our country to really listen. And our mutual friend, I guess, forwarded that article onto you, Ephraim, and, uh, and, and messaged me and said, hey, you've got to talk to my friend Ephraim. And a little while after that, I got an email from you that said, hey, if you're willing to listen, I'm willing to talk, you know, more or less. And so we exchanged a few emails back and forth, and uh, and now we're here. And this is actually the first time we've spoken in person. Um, well, not the first time, because we had a little mishap uh, about an hour ago, because we're in different time zones, and there was some miscommunication around that. But apart from that, this is the first time we've spoken in person. And so um, I'm glad to have you. And uh, Ephraim, would you like to just introduce yourself briefly for, for those who are watching? Yeah, thank you for introducing me. Um, well, like you said, my name is Ephraim Manny. I'm a native of Houston, Texas. Uh, entered the Catholic Church at Easter Vigil 2018. So I've roughly been Catholic almost two and a half years. Uh, I'm an educator. In May of 2021, I have spent eight years uh, in education, working in both adult and public education. Um, and yeah, and so as I've been a Catholic, I've just been doing more and more, you know, looking for ways to you know, grow my faith and teach others about the historic truth of the, of the faith that we all love and share. And I think at this moment right now, now that we're having this dialogue about, you know, racism and um, how we can listen and mutually grow in the body of Christ is an opportune time. And so any way I can, you know, lend my help in my perspective as a, a Catholic, and as a, a black man in America, is always a reward. And so thank you for this platform. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I was uh, thrilled to hear that you were an educator. I think I shared with you that my dad is a retired school teacher. So I have a lot of respect for those who are, are in education. And uh, especially as a man in education, you're a minority in that sense, too. Um, I know that was something that my father uh, experienced. Uh, he was a kindergarten teacher, which was really um, unusual to have a, a male kindergarten teacher. Um, but also as a convert, because you and I have that in common. I came into the Catholic Church when I was 23 years old. Um, I was baptized uh, at the age of 23. And, uh, so I'm always intrigued to hear the stories of other 
other converts. Um, so let's let's begin with prayer first, and then we'll uh, we'll get into our conversation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for this opportunity that you've given us to to come together and talk about um, some of the issues that that face um, certain members of the body of Christ, and to uh, and to listen to, to that voice and hopefully move towards a, a point of reconciliation. We ask that you bless this conversation, that you open up our, our minds and our hearts to receive whatever wisdom you wish to give to us um, this, this day through, through our words. And we ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I was thinking just as a, as a pretext to this conversation, and then I'll, I'll let you let you add it, Ephraim. Um, I was in my own thinking in the wake of all of this, as I was thinking about what I, my own experience of race within the Catholic Church, you know, my starting point was, was, wow, you know, as a Catholic, we have a great privilege of, of being in a very diverse church. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say probably the most diverse church on the planet um, because we are a global church and we've got people of every, every race, ethnicity, every language is spoken in our church. Um, but when I think of my own personal experience as a Catholic here in, in Western North Carolina, um, you know, I know most of the black Catholics that I have a relationship with are from Nigeria or Kenya or Cameroon or Uganda. And on the one hand, it's like, wow, that's, that's a really diverse experience I have. But when I think of the native, born and raised here in America, African-American Catholics, I know very few. And that's a poverty, you know, to me. And I went and I, I was asking, I was curious, I'm like, well, how, how many African-Americans make up the Catholic, you know, are in the Catholic Church in the United States? And I went looking for that number, and according to the Pew Research Center, it, it's something around 3% of American Catholics are, are African-American. And so while on the one hand, we have a very diverse global church, the reality is for a lot of American Catholics, their experience of church is very white. You know, or 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 Anglo and Hispanic, but but not not very African, not not black, and so I'm I'm very pleased to have you here to to share a little bit about your experience in the church, and um, so I'm interested in your conversion story because I'm always fascinated by conversion stories. Um, so tell me. What was it about the Catholic Church that drew you to her? What was that like? And specifically as, as a black man coming into a church where there were not a lot of people that looked like you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you gave some really good, um, you know, preface to it. I think two things that really drew me to the Catholic faith was just a, overall just a quest for truth. And so when I first started studying the Catholic faith, uh, I was initially drawn to uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And when you look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it's just so systematic and it's so formulated so beautifully with, goes through the creed and the prayer so wonderfully and it has all the dogmas and doctrines and the teachings of the church. And it presents it in a philosophical and in a, you know, a faith-driven way that's so easy to, under I think it's so easy to understand. 
And so when I opened up the catechism, you know, and I just saw the, the breadth of, uh, you know, all the church's teachings with these, you know, impressive footnotes at the bottom and mm -hmm. church councils and fathers of the church that they reference. And you can go back and find their documents that they reference. You know, all this is so overwhelmingly, you know, great to me that I felt a need to, I felt a need to, you know, deepen myself in this body, this 2000 year old body of theology and wisdom that's been handed on successively through the centuries. And so that was a definitely one of my strongest reasons for becoming Catholic. And I had a catechism even before I was Catholic. I can remember when me and my wife was like on a random date going to the, the movie and we stopped at a Goodwill and I had that thing for just buying books and just putting them in my bookshelf. Yeah. And I just bought a, a catechism for a dollar. And over the years I would pick it up. Yeah, and over the years I would pick it up and I didn't ever pay attention to it because I was like, oh, it's, this is a little too far-fetched for me in my Protestantism. So I'm not gonna uh, take it too serious. But once I, you know, got the scales off my face and I saw the truth of Catholicism, the catechism became a gem. And it's truly one of the, the best things that the church has compiled. Uh, and the second thing I think that has really been fundamental to my conversion on this quest for truth is just, um, I think this is quote that's popular, popular and it says, you know, to cease, uh, it says, um, to be deep in history is to cease to be Catholic by Cardinal Newman. Cardinal Newman, saint, the patron saint, saint of uh, campus ministry. He's the patron saint of campus ministry. So that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Saint Saint Newman now, you know, this, this quote was just so profound. Now that I, I heard about it, mm -hmm. it's an afterthought, but I think in my quest for truth, I, I took that, I took that, um, that as a challenge. And so when I went back and looked at the earliest, you know, fathers of the church and the historical doc, uh, documents that were available in sacred tradition, you know, the church just made sense. And specifically, I'm thinking of the papacy and Petrine authority. And I can go back and look at the Council of Chalcedon in 451. And in the documents that they have, you know, it says, something to the effect of thus Peter has spoken through Leo. And I heard that and I read that immediately and I was like, wow, you know, this this line in this council has so much, you know, depth to it that it just speaks to, you know, Pet Peter's promise, it speaks to the succession of uh, bishops of Rome, and it speaks to this idea that has been acknowledged even in the, you know, fifth century that we still believe now that Peter uh, has a continued succession of, uh, you know, the Bishop of Rome. And then again, I thought about, you know, St. Arrhenius is against heresies and with Pope Victor's dispute with the early church and how they wanted to, you know, find a, in Asia Minor wanted to find a different Easter date. But Pope Victor said, you know, all other churches must agree with this church, mm -hmm. this church of Rome. And so just hearing those two, I think those were two powerful, you know, early church you know, witnesses that really increased my resolve to be Catholic. And just being immersed in, you know, the early church really helped, um, you know, cripple my understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. Yeah. And so I just felt my conscience, you know, propelled me to the Catholic faith. Yeah. But the second part of your question about, you know, what is it like to be, uh, I guess, a minority in the church? Yeah. Um, can, can I, I think I ask, when I first, I ask, can I ask something real quick though before you get yeah, into that? Yeah, yeah. What what church were you brought up in? Um, well, initially, 
my mom raised us irreligious. Like we didn't have any religion at home. Okay. Yeah. You know? And so uh, I think it was about high school. You know, I, my brother or my closest brother, I'm the youngest of four. He made, a, okay. a, you know, some poor decisions. And so I decided that I wanted to do something in my family to, you know, make me stand out, not make me seem like I wanted to follow in his footsteps. So I just started attending church in my uncle's church, who's a pastor. He's been a pastor for, you know, many, many decades okay, in the Baptist cool. community. Uh-huh. So that was my introduction into, you know, Christianity. And then okay. just allowing the grace of God to, you know, work in me and perfect in me since 2008. So were you baptized in that Baptist church, at your uncle's church? Right in twenty yeah. April April twenty ten I was baptized. And is that a was that a, a a primarily black church or was it kind of mixed or? Right, it was a predominantly you know black Baptist tradition church. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I'm just trying to get a picture in my head. And uh, I was I was raised in an irreligious household too. So I I came into the Catholic Church for a lot of the same reasons that you did. And so I'm just nodding my head, listening to you. I'm like, yep, I've made that connection. Yep, I, I did that. I did that. I didn't buy a catechism at the Goodwill, though, so. <laughs> oh, okay, so you, your kind of your Christian experience, your Christian formation is in this, is in your uncle's Baptist church, and you go right, from right, that, right. you go from that to Reform Catholicism, down. yeah, so tell us what that was, was like. Yeah, so I was in college at Texas Southern University, and, you know, I was a, a Baptist Christian, and then I discovered, you know, along my way in college, I discovered, you know, reform theology. I discovered uh, black liberation theology by James H. Cone. And, you know, I just immersed myself in those two different things at different points in time. But ultimately, I think I was on a deeper search for truth. And I was ultimately trying to always find, you know, what is the truth? What is the truth of Christianity? And I thought I found it first in, you know, liberation theology. And I didn't. Then I thought I found it in Reform theology by studying Calvin and Sproul and mm-hmm. MacArthur, but I didn't find it. But ultimately, I just kept having these questions in the back of my head when I would attend Sunday worship. Like, man, there got to be something deeper than this. It has to be something deeper that the apostles left. And I thought I was going to find it in the Presbyterian church. Researched it, didn't work out. Methodist church didn't work out. Episcopal church, no. And like all these other denominations were, you know, 500, 400 year old. Uh, started and originate, originated like that not too long ago. And so, yeah, I just ultimately just put that back at the back of my mind of, I still need to find this truth, but I'm just going to go along in the motions. And I think I tried to convert to the Catholic Church twice, but I just had a whole bunch of oh. intellectual barriers yeah. that I mentioned regarding like tradition, uh-huh. the process of justification and worship. But then on the third time, I was just like, wow. I heard the Divine Mercy Chaplet and song on EWTN, and I was just like, man, this song is so beautiful. Oh, yeah. The yeah. lyrics are like theological, and it sounds so, uh, you know, harmony. It sounds so peaceful. And then that, after I heard that song, just all the, the doubts and uh, misconceptions I had just went away and picked up the catechism, and I read different things from Catholic Answers and Catholic.com, and it just made total sense. And uh, I decided I was going to be a Catholic. and you know, spring, uh, fall of 2016. So, uh, Divine yeah. Mercy, praise God, right? Yeah, that chaplet right, is right. beautiful. I, I know the EWTN video you're talking about, and you can you can get lost in that. That's whenever I pray the Divine Mercy chaplet. If I've got a group of people with me, I'm not just praying it by myself. That's my favorite way to do it is to sing it like they sing it. It's just gorgeous. So, so but yeah, but the second part of that question is what 
what was that like coming into a church that's, you know, as I said, here in America is only 3% African-American. What, what was that like for you? Yeah, I think one of the things that really influenced that didn't, I didn't really think about this much at the beginning because I can remember in RCIA, there was a, the RCIA director for, you know, youth, she had mentioned, you know, a powerful connection that she had with Our Lady of Guadalupe for mm -hmm. Mexican American Catholics. And she basically said, you know, Mexican Americans find their identity in, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I was like, oh, that was, I resonated with that. And so at that moment, I think, and I shared this to the class, you know, when I think about converting to the Catholic Church, you know, I'm, although the slave trade, you know, crushed and decimated, you know, the, the ties of Africa, the African descendants, through the, the mark of Catholicity that you alluded to at the beginning, you know, I'm reunited back with my brothers and sisters in the Caribbean, you know, Latin America, Europe, Asia, and Mo in Africa too. So, you know, Holy Mother Church in her universality, you know, unites all of us back together again. So that was like one of the things that really motivated me to become a Catholic. I thought instead of being like fragmented pieces in Protestantism, we were all united back in the one holy Catholic church. So I didn't really have a problem going into the church, but I think after I got confirmed and I got my feet wet for a year and I was just comfortable growing in the faith and trying to understand the faith. When I started my podcast called Priestly Passion, where I talked to priests in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, uh -huh. uh, I noticed that there weren't, well, I noticed that I wasn't attracting a lot of, you know, black priests or native black priests. I only have about 10 episodes because it's so hard to get a priest down. But I noticed that, you know, I'm interviewing like a lot of, you know, non-black priests in, in the archdiocese. And, you know, that was like one of the first, you know, realizations that I'm a part of, a, I guess, a minority in the church where we don't have a lot of black priests. And mm -hmm. um, according to, you know, USCCB, it's somewhere in the lower thousand, 30, the lower 33,000 number of how many priests total in America. And, you know, black men, native black, or just black men in general, make up a very small, you know, number at 33 or so thousand. So that was like my first, you know, encounter with, you know, feeling like, dang, I'm, dang, I'm really a part of a, you know, a minority here. And I need to do something about it. And so from that moment on, I've just been really, you know, really, uh, you know, power on, on fire for, you know, trying to increase, what can I do to, you know, promote more vocations, especially not only just vocations overall, but what can I do to aid, you know, the, the shortage of black vocations in my archdiocese. And, you know, I've had, before COVID happened, you know, I had this opportunity to try to meet with, you know, the director of, African-American Catholics of descent in our diocese to plan and like collaborate on how to address this. And just to meet, I guess, one-on-one -on -one with, uh, I wanted to try to meet with one-on-one -on -one with, you know, different pastors and priests at churches and see like, what can we do specifically at your parish to, you know, promote the idea of uh, vocations. So I think that was probably like one of the first, you know, encounters I had about feeling like a minority, about the black priests, I guess, short, and not necessarily a shortage, but just a low number. Uh, when I became a Catholic. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really, that's really great that your, kind of your first response was, you know, we, how can I get, how can I reach more people? How can I get more vocations and promote more vocations? Because I would argue too, we don't just need more black priests, but we need more black deacons. We need more black sisters and, and brothers and, 
um, you know, in all, and even promoting vocation of marriage, uh, because that's, that's a vocation that, you know, we talk about vocational crisis, and we tend to think in terms of the priesthood and the low number of priests, but there's a vocational crisis in matrimony, too, and that's another area where we can really do some, some good work, and so I just, I love that, that your first instinct was, what can I do, <laughs> you know, and to be active, and so, you know, blessings on that, that part of your, um, your apostolate there, and, uh, and I hope that that, that yields good fruit, um, not just in your diocese, uh, in Texas, but uh, but throughout the church. But I'm I'm curious. Have you ever experienced any forms of of discrimination um, within the Catholic Church? Either you know, either overtly or or sometimes more. Um, I don't know. Is covertly the word that I want to use here? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. overt or otherwise. Like have you have you experienced any negative um, uh, aspects of that? Yeah, I think since I've been Catholic, I mean, like I said, I'm still relatively a newbie. So I think one of the biggest things I've experienced is more, I guess, subtle, like subtle acts of discrimination Okay. in, in racism. And I think the biggest form that I think that I see on a regular is just, um, you know, the, the, like iconography and statues in churches. And, and what I mean by that is uh, so many parishes I, I go to, I've church hopped a lot in the archdiocese and I've always tried to find a home and I found a home now. And, you know, when I look back at so many of the churches, you know, a lot of the statues and uh, representations of the saints have always been like the old world, mm -hmm. you know, classic saints that we always hear about. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, St. Anthony of Padua or um, Augustine or Aquinas or Teresa of Lisieux. There's nothing wrong with those great figures and they have remarkable, you know, merits and heroic virtues. And I think, but when we talk about, like you mentioned, the, the mark of Catholicity and the universal nature of the church, there's so many more, you know, expressions of saints that the church isn't, I guess, advancing or at the local, local level or even at the, you know, higher level that we don't really hear about. And so immediately when I walk into a church, I can easily see, you know, a statue of St. Joseph or, um, the little flower and so and again these are great figures but you know i would also like to see you know uh martin depore sometimes depicted or benedict the moor or you know even in america we have our own emerging you know native black um people who are in the running or mm -hmm. in the process of canonization like sister uh, thea bowman or mm -hmm. venerable um augustus tolton and you got harriet delille and you have so many other figures that are just in the running uh, for canonization that you know we can easily look forward, look to, um, and depict. And not just these figures. You know, we have African saints. You have you know a lot of saints in uh, Central America, Latin America, uh, Asian America. And so I think that's one thing that I've always seen. And it's not. It's it's more like a. I don't want to say it's it's not depicting that heaven is attainable, but it's more like. Is it, it's, it's like heaven is all white, kind of. <laughs> and so I, I know somebody on, on social media, he made a, a depiction of St. Martin de Porres. Uh -huh. You know, typically St. Martin de Porres is depicted as a you know, older guy. But this guy, you know, he, he depicted St. Martin de Porres as like a young, you know, 2019, you know, black kid. 
And I was like, wow, this depiction of St. Martin de Porres is really cool because it looks just like somebody I know up the, up the street. And he was like, yeah, that's the point. You know, yeah. this, is, this picture is supposed to depict that heaven is attainable for, you know, somebody like your best friend who you right. see up the street. And so I think those type of like that representation that can easily be done at the parish level and can definitely create like a sense of like, um, you know, heaven is possible. I'm not all we know heaven is possible, but I can see myself in heaven and I can see myself with, you know, Joseph and Mary and uh, Augustine and so many other great figures that we always hear about. You know, I can see myself in this saintly cloud of witnesses in this hall of fame seeing a beatific vision. So I think that's one thing that I've always, you know, kind of felt discriminated by, like the lack of representation in the iconography, statues, and, um, you know, the artwork in the church. Right. If the church is supposed to be like the, you know, they commonly say the church is supposed to gear our minds to heaven, mm-hmm. you know, I think when we enter the sanctuary, we should see, you know, a visual representation of the Catholicity of the church, not just this, you know, European, you know, or sometimes even whitewashed version of the saints that we right. see sometimes. Right. That's a really good point. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. It's interesting to me because, you know, there's been this controversy online lately about the way that Christ is depicted, you know, and, uh, and most common depictions of Christ that people are familiar with, you know, he looks very European. And a lot of the, there's been a lot of negative feedback that, oh, that's not what the real Jesus looked like. Because, of course, the real Jesus would have been, you know, more olive skin, darker hair. You know, he was, you know, from, he was from you know, he was a Jew. And he would have looked like a, a Palestinian Jew of the time. And, uh, but there is this tradition, there's always been this tradition of wherever the church has spread of depicting Christ as a, as a member of that culture and that ethnicity, of a way of sh- saying Christ died for us too. And so you go to Europe, Christ looks European, but you go to Africa, and there's all these traditional images of, of, of you know, African Jesus. And it's, and the same thing is in Asia too. But here in the United States, if all we're confronted with, if all we see are those European images of Jesus, where's the where's the diversity in that? Like, where's the representation? You know, like we started off talking about how diverse the church is. And and I love what you're talking about, how that diversity ought to be reflected in in the art that we see and not the way that that the saints are depicted, the way that that Christ is depicted. And um, can I share with you, I want to share with you a little, little story of recently, I'm thinking about this in terms of the art that we have at our student center here in our, our campus ministry student center. And I realized I'm looking around the, our common room and almost all the art I have hanging on the wall is like Renaissance European. And that wasn't intentional. I'll tell you exactly how that happened is I had a calendar. I had a, a, a sacred art calendar and it was a Renaissance, you know, all these depictions. And I just cut pictures out of that calendar and put frames on it and put it around as a way of, you know, getting some, some inexpensive art. And I realized, I'm like, if somebody comes in here, all they see is one style of art, one face, you know, depicted. And I said, there's such a rich tradition in the church. And so just recently, about a week ago, I got in some uh, uh, Ethiopian depictions of Jesus. I got in some Japanese depictions of Jesus. 
and added that to our walls. And so now we've got multiple different historical and cultural ways of depicting our Lord. And uh, I was just, you know, I, I, I just installed those on the wall and I was standing back and I was looking at it and I said, this is beautiful because this is more of a representation of the, the universality of our faith. And so that's, I, I agree with you 100%. That's something that we as a church need to be mindful of when we're uh, looking at the way that we decorate our churches and, and I would even say our homes, you know, and our, our offices and our gathering spaces. How are we depicting Christ and the saints? Are we depicting the universality of the church? So that's, um, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Did you have anything else you were you wanted to share about any kind of um, uh, discrimination or, or issues that you've experienced as a black man in the Catholic Church, or was that primarily? Yeah, I think that's primarily. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's primarily. So let me ask you this, and this might be our closing question, just because I don't want this to stretch on for forever in a day. Maybe we'll come back and have another conversation, but. Um, you know, in light of this kind of national conversation that we're having right now about race, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of white people like me are, 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 are listening and we're, we're paying attention to this issue, maybe a lot more than we have before. And we're kind of filled with this sense of, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And so as a, as a black man, well, a black American, but Catholic in particular, um, what's your response when somebody comes to you and say and, and says, what, what can I do to promote justice in our church right now and in our world right now and, and fight against racism? I, I feel helpless around this issue. So what, what would be helpful? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think first and foremost, I mean, just as we talked about at the beginning in, in your passionate article that you wrote, you got to listen. You know, and I've, I've been Catholic two, almost two and a half years, and uh, I've interacted with many, you know, Catholics of different, you know, ethnicities and racial lines. And I've gone and I've discovered, you know, so many different, you know, stories that they have to tell and, you know, different, you know, struggles that they've had within the church. And although I may not, you know, speaking, you know, as myself and as somebody who's probably white who can't identify, you know, I can't, you know, identify and, and walk in their shoes exactly with the struggles that they went with. But, you know, I can understand what they are saying and I can, you know, empathize with them enough to listen and not try to interject, you know, well, everybody's not like that or, um, you know, everybody in church doesn't do that sort of thing. So I think first and foremost, you just got to listen and just don't try to interject, you know, or defend anything. Just listen, purely mm -hmm. listen. Then the second thing I think, it's formal first is that you have to hit the ground running and do the work and get your feet wet in any way possible. And there are so many different things that you can get your feet wet in the church and as in the nation as a whole. Like first, I think we need to always, you know, I don't want to say we need to put good pressure on the hierarchy in the USCCB because, you know, many Catholics of color, you know, we noticed that, you know, they are slow to respond on certain issues. Like for certain issues, they quickly jump to it and issue statements and condemnations. And, you know, they have all this strong fervor for other issues. But when it comes to issues for so many, you know, things that impact Black Americans, we've noticed that 
they are quiet sometimes. And so I think that's one thing that we always need to do. Uh, secondly, I think we can advocate for, I think you got, we can all advocate for issues and like fair policies that destroy the, you know, white supremacy and break down the barrier of injustice in social policy. And, you know, make sure that you get now to, you know, influence political leaders and make sure that you're paying attention to, at the local level especially, issues and causes that are going on that disproportionately affect people of color and getting out and voicing your opinion on it. Um, something else that I think we can also do as an educator, you know, I think there's a deficit in, and I'm not a Catholic educator, I don't, I don't teach in a Catholic school, but I do own, you know, a Catholic textbook that they use in schools. And I noticed that it doesn't have any mention of like uh, the Catholic church's role in like the slave trade, um, no mention of the Atlantic slave trade, no mention of the scramble for Africa, anything like that. It's just mm -hmm. purely historical. And so I think that's one thing that, you know, parents should do and everybody can advocate for is making sure that we have an inclusive uh, history in our, in our in classrooms. Um, you know, black, black Catholic history is often neglected by the dominant American society. But yeah. Black Catholic history is so rich when you understand, you know, the struggle and perseverance that so many have went through generationally just to receive the, the Holy Sacrament. Yeah. And you're supposed so to squeeze it all into one month. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, I was going to say that also, too. That's going to be some another point I was going to say. Like, don't limit, you know, people of color to just a month. You know, Black yeah. Catholics have their own month, and you nationally have Black History Month. But those months are important, and you should acknowledge them. But don't just limit, you know, learning about other cultures and saints and liturgical diversity and expression just to one month. You can always be open to the Catholicity and universal nature of the church throughout the year. And then one thing I think is super important that anybody can do is just, you know, talk to your local parish priest and deacon and have them, you know, make sure that they are, whether it be in a bulletin, putting information about, you know, different saints and events in the diocese or create events in the diocese. Um, perhaps, you know, a lot of people said that they never heard their parish priest talk about racism. Maybe having those more uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations that tie back to the gospel mm -hmm. uh, are always encouraged, I think. So those are just some things that when I think of like hitting the ground running and getting our feet wet, those are like five things that I think anybody can do. Yeah, and those are really practical too. And there's, you know, as, you know, as a deacon myself and as somebody who, who preaches, I know that there's so much rich material there in the gospels that, you know, just is just ripe for a good, a good homily about breaking down ethnic barriers and, and reaching across these these lines that that the world wants to put between us and breaking those lines down you know like like saint paul says in christ there is no gentile or jew right it's we are a part of the same body and and to me i've always read that as saying you know not that there's no such thing as gentile or jew i mean we we do have our differences but those differences don't separate us because what unites us is is christ and we, you know, there's so much richness there, I think, in our, our diversity. And every time I learn about the way that the church finds expression and the truths of the church, which you said was what, you know, brought you to the church, that, that quest for the truth, 
that same truth finds so many different expressions in different cultures around the world. And, and to me, that's just such a richness. And uh, in trying to, to whitewash all of that and make it all the same, I think would just be such a tragic loss. I, I don't know why anybody would want to to do that when we have such such a richness here as part of our heritage. So, um, awesome, awesome. Well, this is a good conversation. I'm really glad that you could take the time to join us today. And uh, um, don't be surprised if if I won't email you again sometime. And don't be afraid to email me. You know, if you have other ideas or something, um, I'd love to be able to continue this this conversation, maybe around some other issues and. You have a blog and you mentioned that you had a podcast. And so what I'd like to do is when we upload this to, to YouTube, I'll put a link in the YouTube description to how people can connect with you online and, uh, and read some of what you've written. I've read a couple of your articles. Um, you've got a beautiful letter to your son uh, that you wrote on there. Um, how old is your son? He's seven months. Seven months old. My oldest daughter is starting college in a couple of weeks. And let me tell you, you're going to blink your eye and, and you're going to be writing a tuition check for him. So <laughs> treasure, these, <laughs> treasure these times, treasure these times. But, um, well, God bless you, Ethan. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, oh, and the Son, the and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for, uh, for this time that you've given us here together, this conversation that you've allowed us to have. We ask that you inspire all of those who have listened to these words and uh, just open up their hearts, soften their hearts to, um, uh, to do an examination of their own conscience and, and maybe uh, come to a deeper appreciation of not only um, you know, any role that, that we as individuals may have played in society that... Uh, furthered uh, the divisions among us, but, but inspire us today to see ways that we can come together and heal these divisions and more fully experience that great union that you long for us to have, not only with each other, but with you and through you with our Father. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the yeah, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thank you so much, Ephraim.